Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150 with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features the owner's manual for important operating instructions. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. Okay, it's a Monday edition of the PFT PM Podcast. Doing it differently than I've been doing it. Been doing it on Mondays after PFT Live. But it makes it more like PFT AM. And there really isn't anything to add other than topics we just didn't get to in the three hours that we have allotted for radio and TV on PFT Live. And things happen throughout the course of the day on Monday. So even though after I travel home, I really don't feel like doing it, I'm going to try to do it this way moving forward. And I'm not going to go on and on for like an hour. We've got about 10 minutes of discussion from Sunday night on the set of Football Night in America with Tony Dungy, Rodney Harrison, Mike Tirico on some of the themes, storylines from the day that was. And those are still pertinent today. You'll hear that at the end. I'll talk about a few things, updates on the news of the day, answer a few questions, and then we'll play the segment for last night with Tony Rodney and Mike Tirico. I see that Josh Allen is week-to-week with an elbow injury. That doesn't surprise me. I mean, week-to-week implies he's going to miss some time. And Allen didn't meet with reporters after the game on Sunday, and typically that's mandatory. And you can be fined for not meeting with reporters. And usually it's the quarterbacks who are expected to do it. Whether he's upset because he knows his arm's messed up and he's going to be out for a while. Whether he's frustrated because of the way the team performed. Whatever it was, he didn't want to talk. And that tells me that there was nothing he was going to say that he thought was going to be helpful. And I think he probably would have ended up saying things about his elbow that would have painted a picture as bleak, if not bleaker, than this week-to-week concept week to week not good and Sean McDermott when he discussed the situation with reporters on Sunday he opened the door for Derek Anderson to be the starter if Allen can't go which isn't a surprise because Nathan Peterman is is really not the answer and we know that we know he's not the answer we've seen it time and again I don't know how many more times the Bills need to see it before they allow him to get on with what Chuck Knoll referred to as your life's work, which means football is over. Now go do the thing that you're going to do for the rest of your life because it's not going to be football. Maybe it's coaching at some level. Maybe it's personnel. Maybe you can still be involved in the game, but the playing career is over. And the sooner Nathan Peterman is told that by the Bills and politely invited to pack up his things and move on, I think the better off he's going to be. Because it's just not there. Especially now that it seems like there are more quarterbacks around who are competent. There's no reason to continue to employ an incompetent quarterback. Derek Carr has a bruised left arm. That won't keep him out by week coming up for the Raiders. You just have to keep in mind the possibility that John Gruden is going to decide to move on from Derek Carr after this season. 
they have until the third day after the Super Bowl. At that point, his $19 million salary for 2019 becomes fully guaranteed. But we can't take our eye off the possibility that John Gruden is going to decide to move on. Because he didn't take that Raiders job to work with Derek Carr. Right? This wasn't, hey, I have to work with Tom Brady. I have to work with Peyton Manning. I want that job. This is, I want this job because they're paying me the most money. It's the Raiders. We're going to Las Vegas. And I'll say all the right things about Derek Carr. And then we'll figure out how this is going to work with Derek Carr. And they may decide it doesn't work with Derek Carr. Now, moving on from Khalil Mack may make it harder for moving on from Derek Carr. But part of the way you play this, and this is one thing the Giants didn't do properly last year. Maybe you rally around Carr while everyone else comes to the conclusion that he can't get it done. And then eventually it's just a foregone conclusion that you move on from Derek Carr. So... I don't expect John Gruden to say anything to suggest that he may move on from Derek Carr, but at the end of the season, I would not rule out the possibility of John Gruden and the Raiders moving on from Derek Carr. I do rule out the possibility of John Gruden being one and done. That's not going to happen. I thought Vance Joseph had a good chance to be one and done in Denver. I think he's going to be two and done. They were two and oh, now they're two and four. They haven't had back-to-back losing seasons since 1971-72. And short week, if they lose to Arizona Thursday night, I wouldn't be shocked if he gets fired during that ensuing mini-buy. But then they've got, like, the Chiefs again. They've got they've got the Texans. Then they've got their real buy. I, I, I think the clock is ticking loudly for Vance Joseph. And I also think the clock is going to start ticking loudly for Case Keenum. Because I think putting Chad Kelly into the fray may be the Hail Mary pass that Vance Joseph makes to try to salvage his time with the Denver Broncos, but it's not looking good right now. Dallas Cowboys are trying to figure out why they can't win on the road and can't lose at home, and it's like two different teams. And something's got to give this weekend because Washington is as inconsistent as Dallas. And the way that it's lining up, both teams are due to have a bad game this weekend. For Washington, it's not home or away because they lost by double digits at home to Indianapolis, but they've convincingly beaten the Packers and less convincingly, but still managed to beat a very good Panthers team at home. But when Dallas comes to Washington this weekend, both teams are in the, this is the week they should lose mode. And I spoke to Adrian Peterson yesterday after he rushed for 97 yards on 17 carries with a shoulder that he felt on every play, every play he was feeling it. He said that there are guys in the locker room that are talking about this, back and forth, back and forth. And he told him, stop it. Stop it. That's not the right attitude. The right attitude is to be confident every week. There's no pattern here. There's no bigger picture where you're going to win one, lose one, win one, lose one, and you're destined to be inconsistent. We control it. So Adrian Peterson needs to send that message to his teammates. Sounds like somebody in Dallas needs to send that message to to his teammates. And and we see something's got to give this week. Both teams could play a great game, but somebody's going to win. Unless there's a tie. And, and let me just let me just rail on that for a second. I don't like the current overtime procedure. Look at what happened yesterday. The the Bears Dolphins game. Dolphins drive down to the one. Bears get it back. They miss a field goal. There's less than two minutes to go. I thought we were headed for another tie. And I made the mistake of asking Adam Gase, the Dolphins coach, after the game, whether or not he just considered running out the clock and taking the tie. He's like, Why would you ask me that question? It's like, well, I mean Brock Osweiler's your quarterback, that's why. But Osweiler had a great game. i got to give him credit. And this fact amazes me. 
in his first start for the Broncos, in his first start for the Texans, in his first start for the Dolphins. All three came against the Bears, and all three he won. It's amazing. Vontez Burfecht not expected to be suspended by the NFL for his forearm to the head of Antonio Brown. I don't know about that. It looked like it was a patented Vontez Burfecht cheap shot. I think sometimes the NFL chooses not to have that sideshow, chooses to look the other way. They don't want to have the appeal hearing. They don't want to have the, the negative scrutiny. They give a guy a second chance under the guise of avoiding a fight. Dirk Cutter fired Mike Smith, the team's defensive coordinator. Not long ago, Dirk Cutter said that the Buccaneers would keep Mike Smith. Oh, Is it a shock they gave up? A bunch of points in Atlanta. That's not a shock. Everybody that's played there has given up a bunch of points. And it was funny yesterday when we were watching the nine games. Actually, was it nine games on yesterday? I think it was nine. They kept having shots of Mike Smith during the Falcons-Buccaneers game. And it's like, man, I don't know. Maybe maybe they already knew that Mike Smith was on thin ice. And I don't know how much better it makes the Bucks. What it does for me is it underscores the fact that, that Dirk Cutter's on thin ice. From 2-0 and oh to 2-3, and three, And now they have the Browns this weekend, which is not the easy out that they thought it was going to be. Patriots beat the Chiefs last night. It was a classic game. And when Tyreek Hill scored that 75-yard touchdown, 35 yards of which were just an explosion of a run, it was just amazing how fast that guy is. He's the fastest guy I've ever seen on a football field. The beer got thrown on him by a fan. They figured out who it was, like they always do now, especially when the view is that obvious. It's right there. The guy's banned from Gillette Stadium. He's already been charged with disorderly conduct, and that's going to be a slap on the wrist. You don't get put away. You don't do hard time for throwing a beer. And I was a little uncomfortable by the statement from Drew Rosenhaus pushing for the fan to be prosecuted, pushing on behalf of Tyreek Hill for the fan to be prosecuted. Tyreek Hill is not the best person to be at the center of this argument about what fans can and can't do or should or shouldn't do and what the consequences will or won't be because Hill has his own off-field issue from college. I mean, it would be the equivalent. I was explaining this to someone earlier. It's the equivalent of Ray Rice coming back to the NFL and Ray Rice having a beer thrown in his face and Ray Rice being the one who's pushing for prosecution. You're opening yourself up to a PR problem. You're going to make people aware of your off-field issue that weren't already aware of it because... The Tyree Kill choking and punching the pregnant girlfriend, that never gets mentioned. Now it's getting mentioned. And it's going to get mentioned the harder he pushes for prosecution of that fan. It's just a natural reaction. And I'm not saying it's right, because I think these things can be compartmentalized. But I know how people are. I know how people are. And people will point out, you know, it's the whataboutism. You're going to be upset about somebody throwing a beer on you? What about the time you punched and choked the pregnant woman? So let's just keep an eye on how this plays out. I I think if the guy's already charged anyway, Tyreek Hill doesn't need to say or do anything publicly. You don't need to grandstand over this. I just think he's the wrong one to be at the center of this because it's going to, as a practical matter, create a PR issue for him. And look... I mean, this is on the same day that Chris Sims and I made the argument he's the best receiver in the NFL. It's possible to acknowledge that there were issues 
in the past that maybe yeah and and this is a point that i tried to make on pft live today i'll make this point and then we'll answer some of your questions when tyreek hill first started to flourish in 2016 someone with one of the other teams expressed dismay to me about tyreek hill doing such a great job and the, the, the argument wasn't, oh, boy, he's he's so good. How do we miss it? The argument was, I thought we weren't supposed to touch this guy. In other words, collusion. In other words, there was at least perceived by some teams a message that in the aftermath of Ray Rice, guys who do this kind of thing are shunned, which is collusion. It's collusion. It's supposed to be competition among 32 teams to get the best players possible, and you're not supposed to be agreeing for any reason, good reason, bad reason, any reason, agreeing on who to stay away from. So Ray Rice creates a major embarrassment, and the NFL is trying to avoid these things. And, and it's not just, well, we, we don't want this guy because he's got a propensity to get in trouble potentially, and we don't want those issues in the future. It's just this guy's got the scarlet letter, and we are avoiding him. And there are, there's at least one team that thought that was the message. But Tyreek Hill was still drafted, and the joke's on everybody who passed on him. Because he is the fastest player I've ever seen on a football field, and I think he is the best receiver right now in the NFL because he's the guy that you want because he's going to screw up the defensive game plan. No matter how hard they try to to keep him from impacting the game, he finds a way to impact the game. And you have to account for him everywhere he goes. And even then, he's still going to get his catches, his yards, and his touchdowns. All right. Tom G. Post, what's your opinion on Ticketmaster making deals with scalpers? Should their slogan be 100% authentically scalped tickets now? Doesn't the practice of selling tickets at $100 only for the end user to pay 1000 and hurt, hurt the NFL? Doesn't the NFL charge more up front? Now look, I, I understand that, that argument, the idea that if these tickets are worth so much on the secondary market, why isn't the NFL just charging more for them? And part of the problem is the, the prices are fixed, but the demand fluctuates. And you can't assume that your team is going to be so good that you can charge $1,000 for your tickets. Because what if your team stinks? You can't anticipate where the big games are going to be. Chiefs-Patriots. You, don't, you can't anticipate that's going to be a great game. And teams started doing that that fluctuating price where for the bad games, it's less for the good games. It's more, but I think that's why the NFL has gotten in on this with the official ticket exchange. I'm sure they get a cut some way, somehow. So at least if there is a secondary market, a robust secondary market, they, they get a cut, but you know, that's one of the realities of uh, setting price points. We never know which events are going to have that demand that would have justified charging a much higher price for the tickets. And that's just one of the pitfalls of putting on live events because there's going to be a lot of money you leave on the table as the person who organizes it. And there's going to be a lot of money made by a middleman who buys the tickets and resells them. The Real Four know the Vikings have been using a lot of big nickel packages using J. Ron Curse and George Iloka as linebackers and slot corners like Mark Barron and Deion Buchanan have been used. Will we see more teams utilize this strategy if the Vikings maintain their success. I, I mean, look, the, the Vikings injuries are going to force the Vikings to get creative now because Mike Hughes is out for the year. So, I mean, whatever the Vikings have done the past couple of weeks, it's worked. They held the Eagles to 21. They held the Cardinals to 17. They have a test against the Jets, which is a pretty big test because the Jets had that three-game homestand and they won two of them. Um, and uh, 
Yeah, look, the, the Vikings have streamlined and simplified their defense, and I haven't been paying close enough attention to know what the specific personnel packages are, but whatever they're working, whatever they're doing, it's been working, and injuries are going to require some adjustments because Mike Hughes is the guy they really like. When I met with Mike Zimmer in training camp, I said, who's the guy we're going to be talking about later this year that we're not talking about now? And he, he said Mike Hughes. After he tried to give me some obvious ones like Harrison Smith, he, he finally came around and said Mike Hughes. On tour forever, is it me or is it getting impossible to predict the outcome of some of these games? There's no way anyone would have dreamed the Cowboys would blow out the Jaguars, right? I thought the Cowboys would win just because they are so ridiculously inconsistent. I, I, I just assume, you know, at home, they haven't lost. And the Cowboys, you know, you get a good matchup. You get, you know, you, you, you can run the ball. It's a bad offense in Jacksonville, and they have a good enough defense to shut it down, and they did. I, I thought the Cowboys would win. And, and the thing is, a close game quickly becomes a blowout because, you know, it's seven here, seven there, seven here. The next thing you know, it feels like a blowout. And uh, sometimes sometimes it's just a close game that, you know, a little bit here and a little bit there makes it seem worse than it was. And I didn't watch that one closely because I just felt like the Cowboys were suffocating them. Uh, but sometimes 40-7 to seven doesn't really feel like it. I have a feeling yesterday's game felt like 40-7. to seven. The C.J. Newman, would you ever consider allowing one of us to intern for you as a writer on the site? Uh, how do I put this politely? Um, no, no, no interns. We have all the help we need. I appreciate the support of the PFTPM posse, but we're not looking to add writers in that fashion. And there was a time when I tried something like that, and it's just, it's just a lot of work. It's a lot of extra work for me that I don't have time to do. So I'm just being candid. I'm just being honest. You ask me a question, I'm giving an honest answer. It works for Odell Beckham Jr. It works for me. Stepron57, how many more fan episodes like with Tyreek Hill last night before we see beefed-up security at stadiums designed specifically for player protection? Well, look, here's the thing. Uh, unless the guy who threw the beer has hepatitis and was drinking out of the cup, there's no real injury to the player. It's beer. People get beer thrown on them all the time. Nobody's getting hit. Nobody's getting stabbed. Nobody's getting injured. Now, again, you could get some sort of an illness, but what can you really do? Stop selling beer. That ain't going to happen. What you do is you tell people what the rules are. And if they don't comply, they get banned from the stadium and they potentially get prosecuted. Although it's going to be a slap on the wrist. Getting banned from the stadium is not going to be a slap on the wrist. Because if that person feels strong enough about the team, they're going to throw beer on one of the opposing players. They probably really want to keep going to those games. So I think the system works. I mean, ultimately, you have people who are going to do screwed up things. And when they do... You, you take action. And I think it happens far more frequently than people realize. We had the incident last year with the Jaguars and the Seahawks. Remember that one? Quentin Harrison was trying to get into the stands, which would have been a potential disaster. But two of the fans who were throwing things at him, they got banned from the stadium. Nick Andrews, after the Bears gave up all those yards to Brocktober, is Detroit's offense the best overall unit in that division? Have any of those teams proven that they should be a favorite? I think you mean defense, right? Because the the question doesn't follow from the setup. I assume you mean after the Bears gave up all those yards to Brocktober, is Detroit's defense the best overall unit in that division? Look, these teams are all packed tightly. Three and two Bears, three two and one Vikings, two two and one Packers for now, likely three two and one, but who knows? Two and three Lions. Wide open division. Exciting division. And I don't know who the best team in that division is. The Vikings are starting to find the gas pedal, but who have they played the last two? Well, they beat the Eagles. I'm not, I'm not going to take that one away from them, but beating the Cardinals, it was kind of sluggish. At home, they've been very sluggish. 
They got the Saints at home Sunday night, week eight. That should be a great game. Black 88 Elite, since the inconsistent Dallas and Washington are scheduled to play each other and both of them are trending to lose, do you think that game will end in a draw? Yeah, we already discussed that. I don't know what the hell is going to happen in that one. But both are due to lose next week. The Real Forno, how are we supposed to view the Jaguars the rest of the year? Seems to me they are a mirage of last year's team. Here's my view on the Jaguars. I think the Jaguars want to fast forward to the playoffs. And I think anytime you have a team that has a special season for them, first great season in a long time, and they nearly get to the Super Bowl, I think instead of going to the Valley of Zero and Zero, they want to get right back to the precipice and they want to have a chance to get to the top of the mountain. They don't want to do all that other stuff. It's hard to get them refocused on doing everything they had to do, chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. All those victories last year meant more in 2017 than they mean in 2018. And it's very easy to lose your balance. It's very easy to lose your way as an NFL team when every week you are fighting against a team that, that wants to win. Those wins are hard to get. They're hard to get, and you have to be ready every, every game. And you can never slip. And now, from 3-1 and one to 3-3, three and three, just like that, it happens. Notorious BLJ, when teams run the football, good things happen like defense. We need more running the ball and less passing in the league. It might be fun to watch 40 passes a game, but when you are completing them, but if it's an L, was it worth it? I'm looking at you, Bengals. Hashtag run the damn ball. I Look, the passing game is making the NFL go, and the NFL loves it. And we've seen an explosion this year of passing, and I think it's going to continue. The real four now, how likely is Adam Gase to ride the Brock Lobster train? Well, look, if he's getting it done, and if Ryan Tannehill's hurt, I mean, here's the thing. If Ryan Tannehill's borderline, and you won with Osweiler, then you just keep riding the Tannehill train. You just keep going, or the Osweiler train. And maybe Gase is getting to the point where he realizes Tannehill is who he is. I mean, Tannehill had those wins the first three weeks, but the, the Patriots game, not good. It's a bad decisions against the Bengals. I don't, I don't know. Look, it's easy if Tannehill's not healthy. And, and it's clear that Gase didn't want to talk about that yesterday. I don't know when Tannehill's going to be ready to play. But the assessment of whether he's 100% is going to be influenced by Osweiler. And Osweiler had a career high in passing yards, and he pulled off the overtime win, and he's got every reason to be proud of himself. I mean, he's taken a lot of crap over the years, and, and the thing is, most of it's deserved. It's, it's, not, like, it's not like he's this, this random scapegoat that football fans have, have decided to pick on. He's deserved his criticism, but uh, he also deserves praise for what he did yesterday. Big Blue Thoughts, would you be willing to do a PFDP and Posse meetup in the future? You should definitely write a book on your experiences covering the NFL slash your life story. Would be a pleasure to read. Boy, I just I wish another like 100,000 people felt that way. And it would be, uh, you know, I, 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 if I do a project like that and 10 people are going to buy it. If I even can get it, you know, reduced to writing and put on paper, some sort of paper, some sort of cloth. On tour forever, is it possible the Raiders get rid of Carr by releasing or trading him after the season? They could do it with only 7.5 million dead cap for 2019. Here's the thing. They have to unload him by the third day after the Super Bowl, the third day of the waiver system. His salary becomes fully guaranteed the third day of the waiver system. So they're going to have to cut him early. Trading him is going to be risky because you're going to be trading him with a fully guaranteed salary for 2019. So if they're done with him, you rip the Band-Aid off. And, and there's a there's a... An etiquette when it comes to negotiating contracts, it goes a little something like this. The thinking is when the full guarantee kicks in a day or two or three after the start of the waiver period, right after the Super Bowl, you're never going to cut the guy then. That that's more about the funding rule and not having to put extra money in escrow. 
But if if the guarantee kicks in the third day of the league year in March, then it's okay to cut the guy before that. And and if the Raiders would cut Derek Carr, it would be viewed as a breach of that etiquette. I've heard that argument before, and I think that people would be upset because it's supposed to be a given that you're going to keep the guy. But John Gruden come in and say, hey, I didn't negotiate this deal. New sheriff in town. I'm taking advantage of everything that's at my disposal. And we've seen how he's been, you know, a little hardball with some uh, some contracts, specifically Khalil Mack. It wouldn't surprise me. If he's done with this guy, if he's done with this guy, why do you want to keep him around? If he decides after one year, I can get a better quarterback, then why would you want to keep him? And if you're Carr, why would you want to stay? On tour forever, how was the hit on Amari Cooper not considered targeting? He initially led with the shoulder, also made severe helmet-to-helmet contact. How, with all the time between plays, did New York not call in and eject the Seahawks player? I wonder what kind of real time. Did they re- did they really have a real time across the ocean, Link? I don't know. I mean, that's what they have at all these other stadiums. I assume they do, or they wouldn't be playing those games. I don't know. They're still going to play those games because they want the money. But I, And targeting, look, targeting is not an NFL rule. The rules that come into play here are a hit on a defenseless receiver in the head or neck area or lowering the helmet initiating contact. And I think you could say both happened to Amari Cooper. He was out. He was on the field. And they did have time. They could call a, call a penalty after that. But see, New York can't call the penalty. New York can say if the flag is thrown, that the player should be ejected. They can get involved in that discussion, but they can't, they can't call for the penalty. So if the penalty flag is never thrown, then the league office can't do anything. But as a practical matter, 345 Park Avenue could say, boy, I'm looking at this video. I think you should throw a flag. If they do it quickly, it won't be conspicuous. But sometimes it is conspicuous. And also, the ejection decision isn't initiated by 345 Park Avenue. It's reviewed by 345 Park Avenue. But, you know, we've seen a couple times this year already, somebody at 345 Park Avenue decides for the referee that the decision to throw the flag needs to be made, or the decision to eject. Sorry, I'm getting all twisted up here. The decision to eject needs to be made. A couple more, and then we'll wrap it up. At Arm 55, how can the Bills conceivably continue to trot Nathan Peterman onto the field? There has to be a better option out there. Dude's a pick six waiting to happen. Poor man's Matt Schaub. Matt Walsh points out his name is Colin Kaepernick. We all know he's a better quarterback. We all know he will probably never play in the NFL again. And, I mean, look, would you rather have, I mean, strip aside all the other stuff. And, and Eric Reed's back in the NFL. Nobody said boo. Would you rather have Colin Kaepernick or Derek Anderson based on body of work and current overall level of fitness? Which guy would you rather have as your quarterback? I think you know the answer to that. And, yeah, Nathan, Nathan Peterman, as I said earlier, he needs to get on with his life's work. He needs somebody to tell him. What, what was that that Seinfeld plot line when Kathy Griffin was on there? When, when Kramer basically confronted her and said, Jerry said, you need to just give it up and get on with it. Get on with your life. Just get out of the business. You just don't have it. Somebody needs to tell Nathan Peterman he just doesn't have it. He needs to move on. Uh, all right. I got to wrap this up. Faisal Morale, what's the possibility John Gruden gets fired this year? I'd be shocked, but we would have to know exactly how much he is due guaranteed. I, I've heard it's not $100 million, but it would still be a big check that Mark Davis would have to write, and I don't see him writing it. And, and look, Gruden was all about holding Oakland together for the last year or two, and it may just be only this year. And it's also about selling the team to a new market. Now, there's a possibility that Gruden becomes a caricature after one or two years pre-Las Vegas, and that by the time Las Vegas rolls around, nobody's going to listen to him anymore. That's the danger. That's the danger. He'd lose all credibility heading into Las Vegas. And a lot of the shine is off of the apple now that they're one and five. 
Real Forno, Mike Hughes out for the season. Any corners out there the Vikings could try and pursue? I mean, the trade deadline is still available. I don't know who's available as free agents. The problem is good corners are are, are typically spoken for, and teams that have a glut of them, they, they don't like to give them up. All right, uh, I'm going to wrap it up. And, oh, I can't wrap it up because we have the audio of last night's discussion with Rodney Harrison, Tony Dungy, Mike Tirico. That will come next, but I will tell you farewell now in advance, and I'll tell you that we'll be we'll be doing a few more of these this week as we get ready for week seven, probably one on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. we got four days this week to come. I'll at least do two more. I'll give you fair notice, give you a chance to ask questions. Maybe we'll get some guests lined up, but enjoy the game tonight. I like the Packers over the 49ers, but I'm hoping it's a close game. I'm just, I want a close, exciting game. So let's go C.J. Beathard. Let's make it interesting and uh, enjoy the Monday night game. Peter King will be with us on Tuesday's PFT Live. Check us out around the clock at profootballtalk.com and have a great day. We wrap up the day that was here at the set of Football Night in America. Rod and Harrison, Tony Dungy, and Mike Tirico. And I want to start with a point that you made earlier in the evening about the Bears. What a missed opportunity it was for them. Conservative at the worst time in overtime. What what did you see from Chicago, and what do they need to learn it from that? It just really bothered me that Coach Matt Nagy, who's really an aggressive offensive mind, he scores 48 points against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, doing all these gadget plays and these trick plays. But yet you come up against the Miami Dolphins, and you run the ball three straight times in overtime. I just thought it was too conservative conservative you're there to win the game it's 100 degrees your defense is struggling you have an opportunity with all the weapons that you have Mike to win a football game and you come out and you run the ball three straight times I know he probably wishes he had those play calls back but I still think this is just the learning curve for Chicago they're still a little bit up and down very talented team but not playing consistent football winning those big road games that you need to win you know what we do at the end of the year we go back and do the counting and Chicago will be kicking themselves because the Green Bay game, the opening Sunday night, they had one. Let Aaron Rodgers on a leg and a half win that game. And then this game, they had opportunities to close it. They could very well be 5-0. and oh. Those are going to hurt. Now they've compressed the division. Everybody's within a game in the NFC North. You know, another point from that game, something we've talked about in the past, that 10-minute overtime goes so fast. And by the time the Dolphins drive down and don't score, the Bears drive down, there's fewer than two minutes left. And I said to Adam Gase, I talked to him after the game, I said, did you consider it all just like taking the tie and going home? He said, why, why would you ask me that question? Like, there's less than two minutes to go and Brock Osweiler is your quarterback. That's why. Is that a direct quote? Yes. From yes. Adam? Yeah, there may have been a, a curse word or two in there as well. Yeah, But, uh, but I, I feel like that 10 minutes goes so fast yeah, it that it, it really does create a sense of urgency that just kind of comes up on you quickly. Yeah, I don't like our overtime rules. I think if you win the toss, you, you have a big advantage. They're trying to eliminate that by not letting the first score win. But you still, if you win the toss now, you, you have an advantage, no question. Isn't this a good hybrid between where we were? Because those 15-minute overtimes felt so long with the players and they've been out playing four quarters and the college system which just takes all kicking and special teams for the most part out of it unless you're trying to field goals at least it's more equitable it than is. when you used to get the ball go down kick a field goal and the other team standing on the sidelines never gets a chance on offense yeah and what's going to happen is somebody's going to get that opening kickoff and take the full 10 minutes and, and <laughs> yeah, kick right. a game-winning field goal and then that's when they'll decide they have to change <laughs> things the Jaguars need to change things 40 to 7 loss at Dallas how, how does a team that lose that loses that badly how do you even consider them a serious contender in the AFC Roger well I don't I don't even think that's something that they're really paying attention to it. I think in-house they need to clean up some things. Jalen Ramsey he's talked a lot of trash. He's put a lot of pressure on that entire organization to come out and do certain things. I think 
Doug Marone, he has to get that team back to playing good fundamental football. For the life of me, I don't understand what their concept is team-wise. Coach, they go to the AFC Championship by playing good defense and running the ball, but yet Blake Bortles, last week he threw the ball 61 times. That's not a formula for their success. No, they're throwing a lot more than they did last year. Um, and these last two weeks has been because they've been behind. And I agree with you, that defense that played so great last year, Jalen Ramsey set the tone by doing all that talking. Okay? And sometimes talking is not the best way to win football games. You know, Jacksonville looks good at the start of the year. And then, remember, they've had no Leonard Fournette. And the defense has given them early holes, so they've had to get away from what they normally do. All of a sudden, you look, Jacksonville, Tennessee, off to good starts. Maybe they're going to be good this year. They're all 3-3. Three and three. So is Houston. And Jacksonville and Houston play for the early division lead next week. It's right back to what we've got come to know in that division. And the Jaguars were so adamant about keeping Blake Bortles when they could have signed various available free agents. They could have taken Lamar Jackson with the 29th overall pick in the, in the draft. They were all in on Bortles. And they're trying to make him, I think, into something he's not. But I don't think he's the biggest problem. And, and Mike said it with Leonard Fournette being out. That kind of takes away some of their identity. But they've got to run the ball and play good defense. That, that's how they've got to but win. But really, if, when I look at them play, there's a level of complacency. You don't see them playing with the same fire, the same desire. They went to the AFC Championships, and sometimes last year, sometimes when you have that level of success, you come back and think that you can just walk out. You want to fast forward to that what moment happened? again. And what it, happened it, to Saxonville? Where are all the Saxons? They don't have that edge. You, you have yeah. to have that edge, and that's why it's so difficult to repeat a Super Bowl. Well, both of you guys have lifted on teams that sustained year after year, Colts and Patriots, and you guys were up at the top of the league. Is that hard to learn how to take every team's complete preparation and best shot for you? You know where it starts, the veteran leadership, people like that okay. setting the tone for you. you. Coach, you can talk about it, but those veterans have to set the tone in the, in the locker room. And I'm going to put it on you. I think it starts with the coach. Once it, starts with the, <laughs> no, once it starts with the coach, that's a good thing. And you get veteran players that buy into what the coach is selling. Then you can go out there and just play hard and, 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 and really articulate that message throughout the locker room. And I don't want to go all negative here. The Cowboys looked good this year, better than they have all season long. The problem is they are so inconsistent. One week they lose, one week they win. They play Washington next week. Washington's under the same formula. Lose one, win one. They're both due to lose next week, which can't happen. When do we believe that the Cowboys may have something that, that they can really build? Well, we've got to see them go on the road and do it and win games on the road. That's what I'm waiting for. For me, Dak Prescott, he looked less robotic when he played. He looked like um, Jason Garrett kind of took the training wheels off, let him play. Um, he Scrambling, he made some plays, and he just seems like he's playing a little freer. When I had a chance to talk to Adrian Peterson after the game, I asked him about that inconsistency Washington has, and he said he's been telling the younger players, quit talking about it, because they're, they're talking about it, and they're thinking, oh, we're due to lose next week. It's like, forget that. Be confident, and let's go out and do what we need to do. I'm so glad you brought him up. He had 97 yards on 17 carries. That's one of the guys I've been most excited to watch the first six weeks of the season, because when we saw him last year, you're like, well, you know what? It's not Adrian Peterson. He's about done physically in great shape, but we may not see him be good again. He's been so important on a team that was decimated at that position in preseason. What, what a cool story to see that runner come back and perform key, a key role on a team that right now is near the top of their division. Well, yeah, Mike, but my question is this. Do you believe that he can sustain that oh. entire... No, I'm you know just what? happy to see him. I think come he back. can. You do? With a hurt can. shoulder right now, Coach, I, it's weeks going on week seven. Is. I think he can if they continue to run. And what will happen, though, we'll see some games where he'll get 10 carries or eight carries okay, yeah, because 
they don't. I don't think they have the mentality that they can win running the. One, one thing about him, he he sat on the couch until August the twentieth. He knows his opportunities are limited, so he's going to do everything he can every week to to be able to play because he realizes each game is getting closer and closer to when he's going to be done. And we do realize he's always in supreme condition, even though he was on the couch as you said till August. He's one of those amazing specimens. Oh, do you ever yeah. shake his hand, Mike? I, I I have not. Which you know, as I since I have full function of my hands, it proves that it's I never the have. All I'm saying is this as a a defensive player, no matter how strong he is, if you know that shoulder's hurting, guess what my aim point is? That shoulder. shoulder. Test Not it. this little you shoulder. Test, it. <laughs> test the shoulder, right? That's how you say it. No, you test it. the I'm shoulder. Politically correct. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's it for this week. Thanks for some of your time. We'll do it again next week. Oh, you tested oh. it. <laughs> you can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.